Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Upon the cross, Jesus Christ, he took our sin. What you Don't misunderstand what happened there, folks. Don't think for a moment that you were offered immunity. No, not immunity. He took your sin. He paid for it. He justified you by taking on your debt. There was no release. God didn't just simply overlook your sin. Jesus Christ paid for it. The wrath of God was poured upon him. It was his blood that was shed for you and I so that we could stand righteous before our Father. It is Jesus and Jesus alone, and it is his blood. He paid the price. Your sins are wiped away. All that you have done, listen, past, present, and future, gone. All of your sins. He paid it all. You have nothing more to pay because Jesus satisfied it if you put your faith in him. The cross of Jesus Christ is the means of justification. It is the only means of justification. Listen, uh, you know, how does works then you know, work in the life of a believer. Are we supposed to do good works? You can shake your head up and down. And yeah, we are supposed to do good works. But that is never, ever meant to be the means by which we're saved. Works, James said, you know, to those who would say, uh, you know, who would be in the camp of just saying, well, all I got to do is believe and I'm good and, you know, I can live my life however I want to or whatever. Uh, James would say, no, 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 no. Show me your faith and I'll show you my works. Because works are a result of faith. However, faith is not a result of works. In other words, you're not gaining more faith. You're not gaining more favor. You're not gaining salvation. You're not gaining anything by what you do with the faith that God has given you. What, the, the one thing that you are gaining, if you put your faith in Christ, is all the blessings that he has for you. You're gaining heaven. You gain eternal life. You gain right relationship with God. You gain the status of righteous. That's what it means to be justified. The Bible tells us that only the righteous will inherit the kingdom of God. Only the righteous. So that tells me that I need to be very, very concerned about my understanding of this thing called the doctrine of justification. Because if it's only those who are righteous that will stand before God, that, will, that he will say, enter into your rest you know, then I need, to be, I need to concern myself with that. I need to ask myself, do I, am I righteous this morning? Have I depended upon Jesus alone or have I depended upon myself? Am I dependent upon my church attendance? Am I dependent upon my Bible memorization? Am I dependent upon, you know, whatever it is that maybe we, we, we become dependent upon for trying to find favor with God? as a means of works for salvation, you know, you have to ask yourself that question. Am I righteous? Now, I can be honest with you. Sometimes I, I, I don't ever feel righteous. Do you ever feel righteous? No, because I'm trapped in this sinful body, right? I mean, I, I'm a sinner, and so a sinner's sin, and so, I, you know, I have this constant wrestle in my mind, you know, of I don't feel righteous, but the Word of God says I am. Why? Because it's not what I did, but what Jesus did. And so it's, again, by faith. We simply believe. We place our total trust in the cross of Calvary upon Jesus Christ, his blood, and that is how we are made righteous. Man, it takes the burden off our shoulders, doesn't it? 
Why do you think Jesus said, listen, to me, come to you, all who are weak and weary, because you're trying to work out your salvation. Come to me, all you who are weak and weary, and I'll give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why? Because he took, he took the burden. He paid the price. So we can rest in that. Now, uh, you know, Jesus was asked the question by one of the religious leaders that I think was a sincere question. What must I do to be saved? How do I obtain eternal life? He was asked that question a couple times. The rich, run, the rich young ruler asked him that question as well. But the person that I want to focus on right now in this moment is Nicodemus. Nicodemus said, hey, Jesus, what do I got to do to obtain eternal life? How am I saved? And you remember what Jesus said in John 3, 3. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again. Well, we just heard that the righteous will inherit the kingdom. The unrighteous will not, right? How do we become righteous? It's through justification. So therefore, being born again is, is through that process of justification. That's what he's talking about. Jesus told Nicodemus, you can't do anything to be saved. The one thing that you must do, though, is be born again. How do I do that? How can I, you know, Nick, Nick didn't get it, man. He's like, how am I supposed to get back in my mom's womb at such an old age? I don't understand that. Jesus is like, dude, seriously, you're a teacher here? You're the one that's teaching these people, and you can't answer such a simple question. I'm not talking about, uh, you know, a flesh and water birth. I'm talking about a birth of the Spirit of God, where the Spirit of God comes into your life, and He seals you. Because he's your guarantee that you belong to God. That you have, in fact, been justified. He fills you with power. And I promise you, if the Holy Spirit has come inside you, you'll know it. You will know it. It's not, you know, something that we have to ponder. And, and that's what Paul will focus on as he begins to move through these verses and talks to these people about the doctrine of justification. He'll talk about their own personal experience. And he does that by using questions and quotes. Hence the title of my message this morning, The Cues and Cues of Justification. The questions and the quotes of justification. Paul will, will ask these believers to consider how they came to Christ in the first place. I think what's marvelous is that they're Gentiles. They are not Jews. And so the only hope for them was grace. The only hope for a Gentile to be, to be able to worship the God of Israel the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was grace. It was grace alone. There, there was no other way for that. I mean, the Jews didn't want anything to do with Gentiles. They would do everything they could to push Gentiles away. And yet here we would have the Apostle Paul, who was the Jew of Jews, who was confronted by Christ on that road to Damascus, who, who was justified there through the blood of Jesus Christ. And then he would become a propagator of grace. And he would tell these people, God has always loved you. He has never wanted to be distant from you. He's always wanted to be reconciled to you. He wants relationship with you. And that is the message that continues to go forward from, you know, till the Lord comes back is God loves people. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what clan they're of, what nationality, what language they speak. He loves people. And he gave himself up so that we could be justified before the Father. We're going to just look at six questions that Paul asks 
uh, these believers to consider. And then we will look at six verses that Paul quotes to, uh, you know, defend this doctrine of justification. We began by the first question that Paul asks, and it's relating to spiritual discernment. Look at verse 1 there. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Paul begins his defense here by stating the facts. These Galatians were being foolish by abandoning faith alone in Christ alone. They, they were being absolutely foolish by turning to another gospel. Paul said, I'm blown away that you would turn to another gospel after what you heard, after what you experienced, after what you saw God do in your life, that you would abandon that for some, some means of self-righteousness, that you yourself could be made right. How pathetic. Why would you do that? Because we know what the, the reality is that a Jesus plus gospel is no gospel at all. They were being foolish. That word there is not so much that they didn't have the mental capacity to make a good decision based on, you know, to, to work through the, um, the errors that were coming into the church through these Judaizers. You know, the, the false gospel that was being presented. It wasn't as if they didn't have the knowledge to deal with it. That's not what that word means. What that word means is that you abandon the truth for the lie. That's what it means to be foolish, to abandon the truth for a lie. Now, if you have children, you understand the difference between a child being a child and a child being a fool, right? So, you know, a child being a child is just they just don't know any better, and so they do stupid things, right? That's not foolishness. That's childishness. But a fool is a willful Intent to do what is wrong even though they know what is right. That is the problem with these Galatians. They are lacking spiritual discernment. They have abandoned the truth for the lie. They have taken the bait, hook, line, and sinker. And Paul is calling them out. He's saying, you're being a fool. Now, I can relate to these guys. I know I'm the only one. I am foolish at times. I find myself doing some of the same things. And yet I know I don't stand alone. I know I'm in the room of people who can also say, hey, I, I've also been a fool. We could sit here for hours and talk about our foolish decisions that we've made. Why do we make foolish decisions? Here's why. is because there is a confrontation with truth in our feelings. And so what happens is our feelings, if we're, we're walking by feelings, they over-trump the truth and we start to do what's wrong even though we know that the truth is the, the reality that we should be following, but our feelings say something else. And so we start to walk by feelings. You know, contrary to popular belief, do not ever follow your heart. Do not ever follow your heart. For the Bible tells us in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? It's a terrible idea to follow your heart. It is also a terrible idea to follow your own thoughts. Paul, uh, you know, it was written in Proverbs 28, 26, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. I like what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. He said, put no confidence in the flesh. Put no confidence in the flesh in the flesh. Listen, if you're not clinging to the Spirit of God with everything that you have, then you are putting confidence in yourself. 
Do not put confidence in your flesh. You will be led astray because your feelings are more powerful than your will. Your feelings lie to you. They tell, oh, I just don't, I, I don't feel God in this moment. He must not be here. What does the Bible say? The Bible says he'll never leave you or forsake you. So who are you going to believe? You're going to believe your own feelings? You're going to believe your own mind? Or are you going to believe the word of God? You have the choice to make. And that's the reality. We have to stop walking by the flesh and start walking by the spirit of God. That's the reality. Paul is trying to help these guys understand that they are lacking spiritual discernment and they are walking in foolishness because they are walking in the flesh. They want to be justified by their own works. Don't you? Don't you want to earn God's favor? You do. You can shake your head up and down because you do. It's something ingrained. It's innate within our flesh. We want to earn. And that's the way our world works. Our world works, you know, in, in, in terms of, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. If I do something for you, you do something for me. We, do, we, we gain favor by working, you know, our, our way up the ladder, however it might be. But we are in a works-based world, folks. If you don't work, guess what? You're going to slide backward. But, but the gospel is different. It's not like that at all. It's contrary to the world. That's why we have to turn the world upside down because it's, we're going the wrong direction. We're trying to obtain favor with God by what we do. Now, tell me this isn't your thought process when you sin. Oh, I got to read my Bible more. Oh, I got to get on my knees more. I got to pray more. Is that how you're forgiven? Absolutely not. You know how you're forgiven? The cross of Jesus Christ. It's his blood. It's faith in him. Nothing you can do can pay for that sin. And yet we do that. We get stuck in these places of trying to pay for our own salvation. Paul says that's foolishness. It's foolishness. The reality is you make up your mind when you sin to turn away from it and turn to God. That's it. Repentance. That's what he expects of us. Listen, I told somebody this earlier. If God wanted us to be, if God expected us to be perfect, he wouldn't have sent Jesus. You just said, you're on your own. You figure it out. You do it. It's all on you. But he knew we couldn't. He understood we could not. He knows that we fail. And yet he loves us anyway. And we have his favor. You don't have to fight for his favor. You have it already. You don't have to do more so that he'll love you more because he loves you as much as he can possibly love you even in your sin. I love that. That God met me where I am. That God said, I love you right where you are, Tim. That you're a sinner. And I love you. And even though you are redeemed, you are justified in my eyes today, I don't love you any more than I did when you were a sinner. I'm still a sinner, but you know what I'm saying? Justified. Before I was justified, he loves you that way. So what am I saying? It's foolishness, foolishness to think anything otherwise. Be spiritual discerning about your walk with the Lord. Do not allow yourself to get into this legalistic relationship with God because what that will do is push you away from him. And, and the enemy w loves to get in between you and God and he wants to continue to push you further and further away because he knows that's the way that he can destroy you, devour you. Do not do it. Walk by faith. Believe by faith. You know, stand firm in faith, not in your works. Will the works come? Yeah, they will. They will as a result of your faith. So he tells these guys, man, you're being foolish. Uh, he goes on here, and, and, and he starts to 
draw their attention back to their initial conversion in chapter two, uh, verse 2 there. He says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing with faith? You know, after he reprimands them, he draws them back to that initial conversion place where they were justified before the Lord. Now, in the first part of verse 1 there, it says that, Paul says that you guys saw the crucified Christ. Remember, and, and what he means by that is not so much that they saw the crucified Christ with their own eyes, but Paul painted such a vivid picture in his teaching that they saw the crucified Christ with their own eyes. It was his teaching that was so vivid that they, they, were so, they, they connected so much to what he was saying that it's as if they saw it with their own eyes. That's how they were converted. That's how they received the Spirit. It wasn't by the law. It was by their belief in the cross. That's what he's trying to tell these guys. Listen, think back. How were you saved? Think on your own salvation. How were you saved? It wasn't by the law. It wasn't because you were doing things. It's because you came to that place where you realized you could do nothing. There was not one single thing that you could do to be justified before the Father except for believe in His Son. And when you did that, God stamped you as righteous. Listen, these Galatian, these Galatian believers were Gentiles. They were not living by the law. It's like a ridiculous question. Were you, did, were you justified by the Spirit or by the law? Well, considering we didn't really live by the law because we're Gentiles and the law has nothing to do with us, I, I'm going to go with the Spirit. I'm just going to go with that one. I think that might be right. <laughs> of course it was by the Spirit. You didn't have the law. And what we will see here is that's the way it's always been. It's the way it's always been. From the day Abraham was justified before the Father, he was made righteous It's by faith had nothing to do with the law. He was counted as righteousness before the law even came into existence, 654 years before it, to be exact. And in fact, the Judaizer would, would focus so much heavily upon the works of Abraham, the promise of uh, the, the covenant that was made in Genesis 17 for circumcision. Of course, you have to be circumcised to worship the God of Israel. You, know? you have to do these things. That's how Father Abraham did it. Do you know that Genesis 15 comes before Genesis 17? Genesis 15 is what, where he was uh, counted for righteousness, and Genesis 17 is when circumcision came into pl place. You see how that works? God, God misses no detail. He misses no detail. He, he does that on purpose. Yes, there was a covenant made with circumcision, but that's not how you're saved. That's what these Judaizers are trying to push upon these believers in Galatia who have never heard of the law in the first place. They are not God-fearers. They are not proselytes. They are Christians, Christ followers, just like you and I. Beware that you don't fall into this law-keeping mentality. I don't know what's going on in the world today, but there is this, this uprising of this law-keeping thing where people desire to, to be Jewish. Well, I'm going to show you in a minute that, guess what? You are a descendant of Abraham if you come by faith. You are already in the lineage of Abraham because of your faith, not because of your lineage, not because of your nationality. So, to all of you who want to be Jews, Jewish, praise the Lord, you are. You are by, by the lineage of Abraham. There you go. You have it. But, but you don't come to him by the law. You come to him by faith. Paul expounded on the cross of Christ to such a degree that these believers were born again. They were justified. They had believed. 
they receive the Spirit. When he talks about the Spirit through here, he's talking about justification. He's talking about the process in which somebody believes in Christ, and then the Spirit of God comes and seals them. It, he is the guarantee, the signet ring, the stamp of God upon your life. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 tells us. He is the, the guarantee of the inheritance that we have in Christ. He is drawing them back to that place of salvation. <laughs> he goes on to question their wisdom here in verse 3. Are you so foolish? Uh-huh. Yes, I am. He, he's saying to, to move away from the cross and grace to the law is absolutely foolish. Not only that, but listen to this, Christian. Lest you do it yourself. It is an insult to God. It is a slap in the face to Jesus Christ if you think that you can do something to pay for your sin. It is a slap in the face of a crucified Savior who gave all for you. Don't ever think for a second that you can do something. Just put your faith in Jesus. He did it for you. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said, an open mind in questions that are not ultimate is useful. So to ponder things, you know, is great. That's fine to think about, you know, how did evil come in the world and these kinds of things. That, you know, that's, God will grow you in those things. But it is unhealthy to focus upon questions that question the foundation of Christianity. That is not healthy. C.S. Lewis goes on to say, but an open mind about ultimate foundations, either of theoretical or practical reason, is idiotcy. I didn't say it. He did. But I think that if a man's mind is open on these things, let his mouth at least be shut. Please don't speak. If that's what you think, please do not speak. Because you will continue to uh, desecrate the cross of Christ with your works-based mentality. It's legalism, folks. Keep it to yourself, Paul would, or C.S. Lewis would say. Please don't talk. It's foolishness to ponder a works-based salvation. Paul says that here. Are you so foolish? Moving on to question number four. He says, having begun by the Spirit, are you now going to be perfected by the flesh? Listen, I think this question really hits home because I know that I've struggled in this area in my own life. I just got to do a little bit more and I'll become a little bit more holy. If I just, you know, pour myself into, something, into this thing a little bit more, if I work a little harder at it, but you know what? That has always failed me. Every time I get to a place where I think I just got to work a little harder, I got to work a little harder at my righteousness, I got to work a little bit harder about, you know, my, 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 my salvation, I got to work a little bit harder for my sanctification, I should say. You know, I got to work a little bit harder for it. It always fails. And it always comes back to this one place, the, the waving of the white flag of surrender. It always, when I'm struggling with sin or something in my life, you know, the Lord will let me get to that place where I'm going to work a little bit harder and I'm going to do all these things, but I never find victory until I surrender. And it's in the surrender that God says, finally, dude, man, you, you don't get it. <laughs> You've been walking with me for 20 years and you still don't get it. You're still trying to work your way up the mountain rather than just surrendering to me and let me just carry you on up, you know. Are having begun in the spirit, are you now going to be made perfect in the flesh? Now, this is Paul focusing on a Christian in the process, not necessarily of justification, but in sanctification. What he is saying is sanctification is the process in which from the point of conversion of Christ to the point that we go home to be with the Lord, that we are being made like Christ. 
It is that process. And it's a, it's a, it's a tedious process, isn't it? You know, the Lord continues to shine the light in, and you think, you're like, oh, man, I I'm finally got that, Lord. And, and then he shows you 17 other things that you're not doing right. So anyway, that's because we're being sanctified. We're being set apart, and it's a work, and he's chiseling stuff off of your life, and it'll come as fast as you'll let it come. It, it, you know, the faster you surrender to him in these areas, the quicker he gives you victory. That's the way it works. But Paul says, how is your sanctification going to work? How are you going to continue to be like Christ? Is it going to be by the law, or is it going to be by faith? What do you think? It's not by the law. You didn't get it that way. How are you going to continue to get it that way? You didn't get your salvation that way. You think sanctification is going to come that way? No. It comes by faith, and then works follow. That's the reality. That's what he's saying. Having begun in the Spirit, will you be made perfect in the flesh? Oh, man, without the Spirit of God, folks, we are dead in the water. The Holy Spirit is the power within us to uh, you know, to help us live the life, to become Christ to this dying world. Listen, if we start to rely on ourselves too much, then we will see simply the works of the flesh and not of the Spirit. We need the Spirit of God. We need to rely on the Spirit of God like we did the very first time we believed. It's the same process. And guess what? Glorification will be the same way. It will not be by works. It will be by faith. Nothing you did on Calvary, folks. Nothing you did. Jesus did it all. So therefore, he paid for justification, he pays for sanctification, and he pays for glorification. The whole thing. He's got it all wrapped up in him. I <laughs> like one of my commentators said this. He said, how ludicrous it would be for a modern airline passenger to entrust his life to an, a jet aircraft, but still insist on flapping his arms to help the plane stay in the air. That is ridiculous. How foolish would you look in the airplane doing this? What are you doing? Flying. I'm just flying, man. I'm keeping this thing afloat. I ain't going down with you. You know, I, I mean, it's ridiculous. Paul is telling these Galatian believers that the power of sanctification is found in the same power of justification, in the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is at work, folks. He is the one that draws you to the Father. The Spirit of God, you know, He works in our lives in three different ways. First, the Spirit of God is with everyone in the world. He is drawing everyone to, him, to the Father. And, you know, then He also, when we come to that place of justification where we believe upon Christ, and that's by a work of the Spirit, by the way, God says that He even gives you the faith to believe. So it's all a work of the Lord. He did it. But when you, when you allow that work to happen in your heart, the Holy Spirit then comes within you. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And then as you walk in your sanctification of the Lord, the third relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit is the upon experience. That is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is the Acts chapter 2, you know, um, you know, the Spirit of God moving and upon, in power upon the, the believers, upon those who are followers of Christ. And he's working in our lives in those three ways. But it's, but it's all a work of the Spirit. It's never a work of the flesh, not even once. So how in the world can we be perfect in the flesh? It's, it's all a work of the Spirit. Paul goes on here. Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. Now, Dan just mentioned that earlier in worship about suffering. When you come to Christ, suffering is, just comes with the package, you know. 
uh, do you want the bonus package of suffering? Yes, I do. You would say no, but the Lord would say yes. And the reason the Lord would say yes, as Dan explained, is because suffering is what pushes us into God. You know, I can tell you that when my life is going great, I don't need the Lord. I think that, but that is not true. But listen, when my life is falling apart, when I'm suffering in some way, I'm pressing into God. I'm trying to get as close as I can because I know I'm sunk without him. It would be beneficial if you could get that mindset of pressing into God in every aspect of your life, not just because you're suffering. That's what, because when you get to that place, when you press into God no matter what, the suffering sins seems insurmountable to what, to the relationship that you have with Christ. I've read uh, Francis Chan, I think it was in Forgotten God, talked about these missionaries that were in a, in a you know, imprisoned in some other country and and uh, they had little bits of scripture that they would read. And they talked about the communion they had with God, you know, as a result of being in the, in the suffering, you know, as, as they were in the midst of suffering. And they got released and they came home and, and they found themselves in their normal lives. And, and there was an, a yearning to be back in that situation because they were so close with God. May you and I experience that without any catalyst other than we just love him with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, you know. But he uses suffering. The enemy means it for evil, but God uses it for good. When you come to Christ, there's suffering that comes, right? Just you, you lose friends immediately. Oh, you're a Christian? Oh, man, you're one of those guys? Listen, I don't think I, I, I have a few of my friends, but they think I'm crazy. And, you know, I, I don't know what they say behind closed doors about me, but at the end of the day, I know that really I don't really have any of my old friends. Why? Because... Uh, they don't like the Lord. <laughs> That's why. We, well, I want, what about the old Tim? You know, the old Tim's gone. I'm new. I've been born again, man. Oh, bummer. We liked him better. I'm like, well, bummer. I guess I don't know what to tell you. You know, but, but the, the reality is, is that we suffer. We suffer many things. Paul said they suffered many things. When Paul went through Galatia, listen, he was stoned in Lystra. He was persecuted in every single place that he went. The believers there, as they came to Christ, were persecuted as a result of coming to Christ. It's no different for you. You'll be, you will suffer as a result of coming to Christ in some way, shape, or form. It may be, uh, you know, your immediate family, maybe friends. It may be, you know, le- legitimate, um, you know, persecution, bodily harm, whatever it might be. You will suffer in different ways. Paul is saying, if you can... If you can work out your salvation, like if these guys could have just converted to Judaism and they could have, uh, you know, then just become a follower of Christ through that, they would have suffered no persecution, right? Because who was persecuting them? Primarily the Jews. The Jews were, you know, the Romans eventually would persecute the church, but they could really care less about the church. It was just some little sect that really didn't have anything to do with them. It was small. The people that were really persecuting the church were God's people. The Jews, they were persecuting the church. So what Paul is saying is, is how silly would it have been then if at the end of the day all you had to do is become a Jew and follow the law to be saved, then your suffering was in vain. But it was not because you cannot be justified that way. That's his point. He's trying to draw them back to think about what they're, they're choosing to willfully block knowledge that they have. I mean, this is common sense, he's saying. He goes on to the sixth and final question here in verse 5. Does 
He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, do so by the works of the law or by hearing of faith. How does God work in your life, Christian? How does he work in your life? Is it because you're, 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 you're working hard? Is that why God, the Holy Spirit goes, oh, now there's a man I can use. Look at him. He's really working at it. Look at him. Oh, man. You know, no. In fact, the Holy Spirit can use somebody who trusts him more rather than is willing to do more, right? I mean, it's not so much about the, the, the physical aspect of the ministry, but it's more about the spiritual aspect. It's more about, uh, you know, being committed in faith and saying, I'll be willing to do whatever it is that you lead me to do. And I'll tell you, the, the Spirit of God has put me in some uncomfortable situations, you know, and the reason for that is really not anything, not because I was doing things or it was because, simply because I was believing in him. The works, you know, you want to see miracles work in your life? Believe him. Start believing him. You know, start believing in the Spirit of God and in, in, in the works of the Spirit of God and watch and see that he won't move in your life. But he's not going to move in your life because you know 254 verses. He's not going to necessarily use you because, you know, you're, you're able to quote a scripture text and, you know, um, numerics and all of that stuff, the verses and everything at the, you know, oh, man, look at that person. Boy, they should be a preacher. I'm going to make them a teacher, you know. Actually, he usually uses people that can do that so that God can get the glory. God is going to move in your life because, you're being faith, because you are walking in faith and not walking in, in the flesh. That's how he uses us. You want to be used more by the Lord? Just tell him and believe. I'm available. Whatever you want to do, Lord, I'm available. And he will use you. Listen, 2 Timothy 2.13, Paul said to Timothy, he said, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He's going to use you, even when you're unfaithful, even because it has nothing to do with your works. It has everything to do with your faith in him will you believe when he knocks on your heart and he says go talk to that person over there it's not works it's going to get you there it's faith and that's what he's saying it's never about a, the level of the person's holiness who, who the spirit of god chooses to use it's always about their level of faith their willingness to allow the spirit of god to move in their life so the questions have been asked Hopefully the minds have been opened. Now Paul is going to begin to quote the word of God to directly, you know, convict the heart of these guys because the word of God is sharper than two, any two-edged sword. It is active and alive, and it's a convictor. It's a discerner. It's going to do the work of conviction in the heart to bring the truth. And, and I would say that it's a very important that we understand how this works because this is a great witnessing tool right here. Questions and quotes. You want a person to come to a conclusion in their own mind, not because you force-fed them stuff, but because they got it, right? I mean, I love what Harry Ironside said. He said to pastors, listen, you, when you teach the Word of God, you've got to put the cookies on the bottom shelf so that everybody can get to them. You know, you've got to make it so clear that everybody gets it. Now, if you use questions to, to witness to people, you know, well, tell me about, you know, how, how, what, what you think about salvation, you know? And you start to ask them questions. They start to reveal how they feel about it, right? And then you, as, you're, as, as they're, you know, kind of telling you how they feel about salvation and how God relates to us, how he's really, really 
chiefly concerned about our happiness. That's really all he cares about. He doesn't really care about our holiness. He all cares about our happiness. Just make sure you're happy. Anything I can do to make you happy because he's here to serve us. We're not here to serve him, you know. And then, and then you get them to that place where they start to, does that sound right? Is their own words are coming out of their mouth? Does, does God really only care about my happiness? I don't know. And then you, and then you get them to that conclusion. You go, no, actually, he doesn't care about your happiness at all. <laughs> Let me tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says he cares not about, no, you know, at the end of the day, God loves you, but he will confront you. God chastens those whom he loves. God disciplines. It all begins in the heart. God wants to rescue you from this falsiality of happiness. And he wants you to become holy because in holy there's joy. If you walk with the Lord, you'll find joy. Happiness is a facade, folks, but joy is real. And it comes only by the Lord. And, and so he, he would now begin to give them six quotes from the Old Testament. We're going to blaze through these. Just as Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Paul's quoting Genesis 15, 6, where the Lord told Abraham, I am going to bless you through an heir. He's talking about, you know, the blessing of a son. Abraham's 75 years old. 75 years old, he's not had an heir, and he's sitting here sulk, you know, sulking to the Lord. How come I don't have any children, Lord? And, uh, you know, what am I going to do? What am I, who am I going to give all this stuff to, you know? And the Lord says, listen, Abraham, I'm going to blow your mind with what I'm going to do in your life. I am going to bless you so much. I am going to give you an heir that, look up at the stars, Abe. You see all those stars up there. I'm going to give you an heir that is going to give you that many descendants, man. Now, of course, he was speaking of Isaac physically. Spiritually, it was prophetically speaking of Christ. He was telling him, man, I'm, there's an heir coming that will come through your lineage, through your son Isaac, that is going to make you a father of many nations, Abe. You are going to be blessed beyond blessing. And, 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 so, and it says that Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God. Has God ever given you a dream? I'm not talking about a dream as in sleep, but I'm talking about a big dream. I'm talking about I'm going to use you like this, and you're like, did you believe him or did you question it? You're like, no, no way, man. You can't use me like that, Lord. I mean, come on, look at me. Are you serious? Yeah, I am actually. Will you believe me? Because if you won't, I can't. You see, Abraham actually believed God that he would do it, that he would, that he would do exactly what he said he was going to do. And it, it will go on here, and it, and it says that, know then that it is those of faith that are the sons of Abraham. It's we, because we believe God, we become the descendants of Abraham in the same way. It was, we are accounted righteous just like he was. We are justified by faith. It's always been that way from day one. As God was revealing himself, it was always by faith, never by law. His favor was already upon Abraham before he did a single act. And Abraham simply believed him. That's how all Old Testament saints were saved, folks. Same way, by grace through faith. Had nothing to do with the sacrifices in the law. Just simply being obedient is fine and all, but that's not how they were saved. That sacrifice of the blood simply covered their sin. It did not remove it. Their faith was in the coming Messiah who would remove their sin. Completely wipe it away. It was not in the act. It was not in the work. And so 
the, God gave Abraham a prophetic promise of not just Isaac, but of Christ. And that's why, and Abraham believed that. Now, Jesus said of Abraham this in, in John chapter 8, verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. He saw it and was glad. What? What do you mean he saw it? How did he see it? He, wasn't, he was dead way before Christ came, right? How did he see it? You know, probably by some vision that the Lord gave Abraham. Prophetic vision that, that the Lord had given to Abraham that he saw it and he got it and he was glad. Praise you, Lord, that you sent a redeemer to save the world. Abraham believed in the coming Messiah, and that's why he was justified. Not so much that he simply believed God, but he believed God for the Messiah. Jesus said it himself. He was glad when he saw it. And so Abraham was accounted righteous. And then, and, and anyone who comes to faith in that same way becomes a descendant of Abraham. That's why we sing the song in children's ministry, you know. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, right? And you just continue on with that. Because we're all descendants of Abraham because of justification by grace through faith. So Paul goes on here. He quotes another scripture, verse 8. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And it, it, the scriptures foresaw that God would justify Abraham by faith. And so Paul quotes this great promise in Genesis 12, 3 here, which says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And listen, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Again, that's the gospel, folks. That is speaking of the Messiah. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Why? Because Jesus Christ will come through your bloodline, Abraham. He will come through you. These Judaizers, man, they were focused so much upon Abraham and his works, but really, ultimately, the, the, the greatest works of Abraham was his faith. Was his faith. These guys didn't know their Bible. They should have known their Bible a little bit more, and they would have known that Abraham was not justified by his works, but justified by faith. That's why we spend time in the Old Testament, Christians. We don't abandon the Old Testament because there are, there are messianic nuggets all throughout the Old Testament. They, everything points to Jesus. Everything points to Jesus. So spend time in the Old Testament. Know the Old Testament. Get into the Word. It's the same Word of God, folks. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the truth is given to us in the Old Covenant and the New. He goes on, verse 10, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide in all things written in the book of the law to do them. What he just said there was a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26, which says, Cursed be every, anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them, and all the people shall say amen. What, what, we're going to get into this more next week, so I won't spend a bunch of time here, but we have to understand the purpose of the law. It was not a means of salvation because God knew that we would fail at it but it was simply a tutor to bring us to Christ. What, what that quote means is if you're going to live by the law, you better live by the law, 100%. If you fail in one of it, you are condemned. And you're, you, you know, that's all of us and every person who's ever lived except for Jesus. 
And so that's why we have to come to God by faith and not by the law because we failed in the law already. And we are guilty and we are cursed because of it. Verse 11, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law for the righteous shall live by faith. Habakkuk 2.4. Love that verse. That's in the Old Testament, by the way. What did it say? Justification. The righteous shall live by faith. Justification comes then by what? By faith. Wait, that's in the Old Testament. Yeah, exactly. The gospel. That's the point of it. This is to be the modus operandi of the believer, to trust and believe in Christ for justification. Verse 12, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Paul goes on to quote Leviticus 18.5, which says, You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules, and if a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Again, the point is you either live by faith or you live by the law. You choose. I love what, what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 3 and 4, though. This is, this is awesome. He said, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Jesus fulfilled the law so you and I could be released from the curse. And it's by faith that we do that. Last but not least, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Paul uses a key word here to help us understand, uh, you know, the reality of sin, that we are cursed. We are cursed. But he also used another beautiful word here. We were by faith redeemed. We're redeemed. These are great words to know, Christian. To understand the word redemption. What does that mean? To be redeemed means that you've been bought back. You've been bought back. Jesus literally went to the table for you personally. He said, I will pay the debt of that person. Well, do you know how much it is, Jesus? I know it will cost me greatly, but I love them more. And I will pay the price. You were redeemed. You were redeemed because he loves you. And he shed his blood for you. You were cursed. But he said, I will take that curse upon myself. He paid it for you. Paul quoted Deuteronomy 21, 22, and 23 here. He says, if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, then he is to be put to death and hanged on him a tree. His body shall not re uh, remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving to you as inheritance. Now, the idea of this is not so much that the person, if a person was crucified, that they were cursed, like the, the, act, the act of crucifixion cursed them. That's not what that means. What it means is that the fact that they were crucified means that they were cursed from God. You see what I'm saying? The act was a result of them being cursed, not the opposite. You weren't cursed as a result of the act, but you were, you were, you were the opposite of that, which my mind can't do that right now, but the opposite of that is the reality. And so Paul wants you to understand that Jesus became cursed for you. He became sin who knew no sin that you might become the righteousness of God. If that doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what will. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning.
for the righteousness that we have in Jesus Christ alone, Lord. The fact that He became cursed so that we could become holy. That He gave up His own life so that we could have eternal life. Jesus, the substitutionary atonement for us, the only atonement. And for that this morning, Father, we are thankful. And as we come to the table and we remember the blood that was shed for us, the body that was broken for us, Father, that you would once again cause your grace to to come over us in waves and waves and waves, Lord, that we would recognize that there is nothing more that needs to be done. It is finished. And that as we rely on your Son and his finished work on the cross for us, God, that we will continually be made like him. We ask you to produce those Christ-like character in our life this morning, Father. And as we are reminded of the sacrifice, God, that we too become sacrificial in our living, in our time, in everything that we are, God, that we would give ourselves over to you and, and that we would allow you to work. I pray for the legalists in our own hearts, God, that you would have offended us this morning with the truth. And you would have brought truth into our hearts to such a degree that we came to that aha moment where the light bulb went off and we recognized that it will never, ever be by anything that we do that we find favor with you, Lord. But it's simply by what Jesus has done. And we would relate to you not in so much what we do, but, in, but through your Son, Jesus Christ. Even this morning, Father, we ask that if there's uh, anyone here this morning that needs a relationship with you, that you help them to realize that they can be justified in a moment by simply calling upon you, saying, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need Christ this morning. That I recognize that even my good works, even the things that I try to do, Lord, definitely are not perfect. And because you require perfection, I can't reach you that way. And so I want to receive your son this morning as my Lord and my Savior. I believe in his death and his resurrection on my behalf. I turn away from my sin and I turn to Christ today as the only means of forgiveness. Come into my life. I wave the white flag today. I'm yours. Make me Christian. And Lord, we know that a, a simple prayer like that, a, a wholehearted prayer like that of repentance, turning away from our sin and turning to Christ brings justification. And Lord, we ask you for all the rest of us in this place today that as we, again, partake of the uh, communion elements this morning, that you remind us that it's by faith in him alone that we have salvation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.